Welcome back, everybody. This is Eric and Matt, and this is Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit, your beacon of freedom and the American way of life. Tune in every Friday for a new episode as we dive into the world of liberty and what makes our country great. All right, y'all. Welcome back. Eric and Matt here with LLP. Happy Friday. Welcome back. Hope everybody has had an outstanding week. And we're going to be diving right into an awesome podcast here. And we're going to be getting into the subject of, you know, are gun laws effective? Well, no. No. But we are going to dive into some of the details. Do they work? (laughs) Stick around and find out. That's right. That's right. Before we get too far uh, into today's podcast, I'd like to thank our friends at RMA Body Armor for supporting our uh, podcast as well as our YouTube videos over on Iraq Veteran. Um, if you use the code IV8888, you'll actually get 10% off your order. So That's right. a great way to get yourself some all-American-made body armor. We've done a lot of tests on the armor. It's held up really good. Been very, very happy with the results we've gotten out of it. And uh, they are by far one of the, the best values for body armor out there, especially for the quality of their product. Being all-American-made and everything, yeah, too. I think they're more of the, uh, the PSA of armor. Like Their goal is just to get the best and highest quality armor they can to the general public. So a big thanks to RMA for supporting our efforts, and we'll go ahead and get into today's podcast. Now, this particular subject, Matt, you know, we kind of, this is one of those things that if one isn't careful, you can almost begin to, let's just say, regurgitate uh, so many of these tired talking points that are out right. there. I mean, but why are the talking points on gun control so tried and true and so tired at the same time, right? Like, why does it feel like gun owners have to repeatedly kick a dead horse over this whole thing? Like, at some point, don't you eventually begin to have to say, look, the data is so distinctively finite, and let's just say not only finite, but the data is so relevant yep. to what we're trying to argue that doesn't the anti-gun argument start to just fall apart completely eventually? I mean, how often do we have to kick the dead horse before people finally figure out that gun control is based on emotional rhetoric yes. more so than it is actual data and statistics? Well, that's what makes it such um, such an ever-long battle because sometimes after we go through the whole motions and you know, there's a lot of advocates out there, and there is a lot of people that make very good arguments that are pro two way. But then you'll have something happen, and then it's, it pulls at the heartstrings of America, and you see this sweeping legislation come through. And it, it always happens on an election year, and it always happens that it becomes the the talking point of the election of who whatever officials going into office, and then it goes away, and for another two to four years, depending on what you know election is coming up, and then it comes back. And you're right; it, it's because it's such an emotional argument that. You either live the lifestyle or you don't live the lifestyle. And it's there's very, very few people that are objective about it that don't have an opinion on it one way or the other. Uh, and that's what we're running into. And that's why you almost have to have this conversation over and over and over again because the people that are objective are the ones that you're talking to. The ones that have already made up their mind are – you're never going to change their mind. You are never going to talk to someone – like say at the Brady Foundation and convince them that, you know, that firearms are an essential part of, you know, the American way of life. They've already made up their mind. We have to talk to the objective people and and let them know what it's all about. You know, I think it's kind of crazy too that we kind of have to remember in the back of our minds, right, that there's a common misconception, I think, with a lot of anti-gun people they tend to think that folks that are super pro-gun um, don't care about everyone's safety or, or I don't know what their overall, you know, type of thinking is. Like if they're if they're thinking that maybe, you know, we have some obsession with death or some cult of death or, or whatever. It's just so mm-hmm. random to think about the way that they 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 just wrongly view folks that are pro-gun. It's like, oh, well, you're just going to commit a crime and you don't know it yet. Or you're you're only getting a gun because you want to commit a crime or you think you're going to commit a crime. And that's just it's such a weird way of thinking when 
these very same people that want to push for all this strict gun control are the same people that probably, in record numbers, call the police more often than anyone else. Mm -hmm. And what do the police do? They show up with guns. So it's like, so you're not necessarily, in in doing that, you're not necessarily saying that a, a gun is not a tool that is going to protect someone or that a tool that can be used for good. You're simply deferring the use of that tool to someone who's more capable of using that tool than you are. Right. Now, in any normal way of thinking or logical way of thinking, one would quickly say, well, if I'm not capable of using this tool, it's okay for me to recognize that and say, all right, I'm not good with a gun, so I'm not going to pick a fight with a gun because I don't want to get up against someone that's better with a gun than I am. That might be part of that thinking. Maybe the part of the thinking is that there's some deep-rooted philosophical indifference against firearms because maybe they were exposed to some traumatic experience. Maybe their parents were robbed when they were a kid or something, or maybe they uh, unfortunately had to witness a relative take their own life. And Now, that's a great way to segue into some of the data, right? When you look at, uh, especially in 2020, Mm-hmm. The amount of deaths related to firearms in the U.S. were eclipsed way – these homicides were eclipsed crazily by suicides. That's right. And that's some. That's a bull in the room that we have to confront, right? That what series of circumstances are we putting in motion that are going to make someone want to take their own life? What has our society gotten to where folks are taking their own lives. I mean, that's the end route that we have to look at. Why would someone want to take their own life? I mean, it's unfortunate that a firearm would be used for that purpose. Uh, but at the end of the day, a firearm is a tool that can be used for a myriad of purposes. And unfortunately, that is one of them. So I don't see the point of you know trying to just beat this constant war drum of stricter gun laws when it is the underlying societal issues that cause the firearm to be used in the first place at all. So you, you have to remove the underlying consequences and, and, and effectors and things like that. The, the cause and effect uh, parallel between firearms and their uses, you know, you have to get down to those root causes and those root problems and solve those problems. Right. And that is what uh, then eliminates the need for a firearm to be used Right. I mean, a tool is used because there's a job that it needs to be used for. So I think that to you can't legislate morality. And that's the major issue that many gun owners have with gun legislation is that it's this kind of overbearing nanny state. You know, I always go back to the, look. I know not everybody's a nerd like I am. I'm not, look, my wife is a nerd and she loves Harry Potter. And I love Harry Potter, too. Okay. Harry Potter. I love Harry Potter. I am going to make this. I'm going to make a Harry Potter reference. Okay. Dolores Umbridge. Okay. Look, Umbridge, she, she, what she represents to me, if you haven't seen the Harry Potter movies, they're great. Spoiler alert. They're great. But Umbridge represents to many that watch, watch Harry Potter. She represents the, the nanny state. Right. And, and, you know, JK Rowling embodies that quite well. Yep. In, in that character. Dolores Umbridge represents everything that us kids hated so much about authority growing up. The overbearing principle with the, you know, ugly pink decor. I mean, even in the in the in Harry Potter, they show her office and all the cats. And I recall as a young man being sent to the principal's office, and our principal was very much a Dolores Umbridge type character. She was very authoritarian. You know, this was back when kids got paddled. Oh, yeah. Remember paddles? Oh, I distinctly remember paddles. Okay, well, would one walk into a principal's office back in the day and think, okay, the principal is the one that ultimately paddles the children, Mm -hmm. correct? Okay, so she has to lay the punishment down. And Dolores Umbridge Umbridge lays down the punishment many times. I'm not going to – spoilers for those of you who have not seen Harry Potter, but I'd like to make this reference because the disdain that gun owners have for laws and rules, you can kind of draw those parallels. Well, so you would walk into a principal's office and you would think, okay, well, she's – Responsible for laying down the punishment, right? 
Mm-hmm. So she's got to paddle the kids. And you would think, all right, well, maybe there's a paddle stuffed in the corner somewhere. And when she has to, she drudgingly goes over, grabs a paddle. And, you know, it might be a bad thing. Okay, I've got to, you know, got to paddle the kid. It sucks, but I got to do it. It's my job, whatever. Like some drudgingly terrible task that one does not want to commit, but must in the perception of some greater good that you're trying to achieve. Right. Okay, that's the idea. But now when one would walk into the principal's office like I did, and there's not one paddle, but a collection of paddles, and you've got paddles with like holes in them, so they're more aerodynamic, and they can swing it faster and harder. (laughs) And it's like, this isn't just some, this isn't discipline. This is some fetish. Yeah, like she gets enjoyment This is some fetish, right? And and like, so you have to wonder... There's an authoritarian fetish to gun control that mirrors the paddling of someone. And, and, and I, and of course, now mm. kids can't be paddled. They don't allow paddling anymore in, 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 in school. But we're talking, they would make you drop your trowels, your bare butt right there in the principal's office. And this sick lady with this white makeup, like just, so much makeup, you can't even see her face. Yeah, it just, it was just weird, man. It's strange. But I draw that parallel for gun control because I picture myself, when I, when I look at people that support gun control, they remind me of that lady, that principal. Faceless, you know, yeah. a collection of evil mechanisms at their disposal the, the embodiment just, of it like that's yes. like it's basically the embodiment of you know authoritarianism yes totalitarianism like all of that in one right and not to say that there's some deep underlying let's just say uh scar for instance that might you know be present in on me emotional scar from being paddled well of course not i mean i'm i'm tougher than that i don't give a crap about some stupid paddle in fact i was i was the kind of kid that when i got paddled by the by the principal i was just like whatever i didn't cry i was like all right whatever you can hit me some freaking stick whatever the aerodynamic yeah yeah stick. okay yeah break out the more aerodynamic one yeah okay whatever that's fine but therein lies like that quandary right I always look at that reference of harry potter because or umbridge always made me think of what we hate so much about authoritarianism, that it has this it has this underlying sort of veneer that says, oh, well, we're trying to do the right thing. And, oh, I'm in this pink, you know, suit and I've got my cats on the wall. And, oh, but, you know, I do have this quill here that's going to make you use your own blood to write, you know. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know what I mean? Like, that is how people view gun control. Like, we're totally past the point of people accepting the fact that the intention of it is good because the facts do not back up those intentions, right? So right. they want to have their constituents and the rest of their fellow senators and congressmen and all reps and the president who has to sign off on gun control at a federal level. Let's not even just talk about state level just yet, but federal level gun control as a whole re- relies a lot on appearances emotions okay and honestly rhetoric they have to sell it hard they have to hit and strike while that emotional high is there that's right right? they can't use statistics and data to back up what they're trying to accomplish and there's a danger in that why has our society gotten to the point where we are so quick to give up our freedoms just because someone has a feeling about something you know, we demand better than that. We demand facts and statistics to determine the path of what we want to try to accomplish. Now, we'll talk about that in a minute. But what do you think? I mean, I, about I, that parallel between yeah, like I mean, that, you know, it, it's paddling. It, well, I mean, the the reference that makes sense and that, that resonates with you because that's something that you experienced and it, it kind of harkens back to what you're seeing. I would agree. I mean, I'm not a Harry Potter guy i don't i've probably watched like one movie i just i just didn't it wasn't for me 
but I do understand where you're coming from. And it does come down to those three items. But I would probably say that the one that you see the most is rhetoric because it's the rhetoric never dies. It, it keeps getting regurgitated every election cycle as we have to get guns out of the hands of the people. And the one thing that the common sense question that we all ask is, well, who does this affect? It, it You know, the law abiding citizen aren't the ones that are committing crimes. It's the criminals that are committing crimes. And if the, the, the term criminal in and of itself means you are a criminal. You do not follow the laws. You cannot create laws that a criminal will follow because they've already proven that they don't follow the law. So if you legislate a law that says you have to, you have to be 40 years old to buy a handgun, well, guess what? The criminal doesn't care. The criminal's going to go and get a handgun regardless of age. All you're doing is taking the guns out of the hands of the law-abiding citizen. And this is something that happens every year. Now, in respect to what's going on now, you are seeing a lot of states pass constitutional carry. Georgia being one of them, it's on the docket for this year. So, guys. Look up the gentleman's name real quick. Now, if you look at it, what areas are the hardest hit by crime? It's going to be Chicago, LA, New York, cities that have the most notorious gun control laws in America. So when you look at it from a high level, yes, you can make it easier for some states to, to get firearms, but the ones that aren't willing to sign on are always going to be plagued with the same issues. Okay. So uh, a senator out of the 31st district here in Georgia, uh, Jason R. Oh my gosh, I'm going to butcher this last name. The house rep, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. It's uh, well, uh, yeah. Senator. Oh, a state senator. Yeah. State senator. Okay. But that uh, Jason R. Anna, Anna Vart, Anna Varte. How do you say that word? I'm sorry, I'm mispronouncing yeah. your name. Anna Varte. Anna Varte. Anna Varte. Yeah, Anna Varte. <laughs> but anyhow, uh, we are going to actually have him in for a gun gripe episode awesome. as a guest. Nice. All right, so we'll be interviewing him about it, and we'll go into a little bit more detail about the mm-hmm. uh, Georgia uh, constitutional carry bill. I actually went to a recent little Republican shindig uh, up there, and I got to meet him nice. briefly. So we exchange information. So that will be coming. But yes, you're right. There are many, many steps that are being taken and Mm -hmm. a lot a lot of states are adopting constitutional carry so i think the cultural change in terms of the attitude of the second amendment is changing for the better and i think that when society is just simply given the tools that they need to succeed in many many different forms right whether the the success of your everyday existence comes down to uh, simply just defending your life, right? Mm-hmm. Having the tools necessary to protect life and liberty, which is a enshrined important, you know, ethos of our founding documents, or whether or not the barriers to society being successful are simply removed, uh, which I certainly am big on that, right? Like I can't stand overpressing regulation. And to me, firearms laws are uh, one of the most distinctively pressing regulations that one could personally uh, encounter, right? I mean, because when we look at the, you know, the Second Amendment is pretty freaking clear in its wording. The constitutional language of the Second Amendment is clear. It's one of the very few things that specifically says shall not be infringed. Like, hey, stay away from this. Mm -hmm. This is a delicate jewel that you will not touch. It's like Indiana Jones and the idol, you know, and a quick switch. Yeah, I mean, stay away, right? Like, this is here for a reason. It's enshrined. It's given such a level of constitutional importance. And many constitutional scholars have you know, looked at the constitutional language of the Second Amendment, you know, broken down what the words meant back then. I mean, you know, many language professors have looked at, oh, what do they really mean here? I mean, we can <laughs> we can break this apart and we can analyze it, but at the end of the day, I mean, shall not be infringed is pretty freaking clear language. I mean, right. that's easy for everyone to understand. I mean, it, it just, 
it just makes sense that, I mean, there it is. So um, when we look at all of these barriers, too, I mean, look at all of this tech censorship and all of the cancel culture. And I'm not going to dive into that on this particular podcast because we kind of discussed it before. But again, just because like right now, you know, I'm I'm the subject of being censored. Right. My Facebook page has been mm-hmm. down since around Memorial Day weekend. And we've been fighting tooth and nail just to try to simply get our Facebook page back, right? And, you know, I'm I'm a victim of that cancel culture, right? But I still would not want some overseeing Dolores Umbridge uh, figure, mm-hmm. which I kind of represent, at least in my mind, is represented by our current nanny state and the government. No matter who's in control, R or D is irrelevant, Right. At the end of the day, the man's in control no matter whose name is on the plaque, right? So at the end of the day, when we look at, let's just say, how we view that, I would still not want that overpressing government figure to have some control over a business, right, or to regulate that business into oblivion, right? So even though I'm subject to the censorship, I can still support a company's ability to do what they want to do. Now, does it mean that at some deep philosophical level, I'm not extremely disappointed morally in that decision? Of course, I can hate the decision. Um, but I, I just hope that we're past a lot of that. But I don't see it as being a positive outcome. And I view gun control very much in the same way. Like, how many times can gun control fail the concept of gun control, the concept of legislating morality? How many times can that fail? before they finally look in the mirror and go, you know what, it's time for... One would say either it's time for a different tactic or it's time to admit that this is an ineffective way to get our goal, right? So what would be the more effective way to achieve an armed society that also is a much more peaceful society? All you got to do is look at the murder rates all around the world, right? I mean, and then especially here in the United States, when we look at the statistics, the just raw data of where gun crimes are committed, who commits them, who is killed, and who's in charge. Those are the most important things to look at, right? Mm -hmm. Who's in charge, right? The leadership of the given areas where these things happen, right, are the very people who across the totality of the, let's just say, federal laws and the the federal sphere of laws and mm-hmm. lawmaking, they are the ones who want even more federal gun laws that mirror the ineffective gun laws that are right there under their nose causing the problems that exist right where they are already. Right. So what better argument is there against their policies than go, Look in your own backyard, buddy. You ain't handling things so well where you're at. <laughs> well, I, I think you brought up a good point was that, and I, the last thing you, you talked about was an armed society being a polite society and, you know, our lo- the being local. Here in Atlanta, um, in the last couple of days, there was actually a, uh, there was a, a, a road, well, not a road, it was actually a gang shootout where yeah where a six-month-old uh baby was uh hit with a crossfire in the vehicle so there was two cars shooting at each other uh and there was just a uh someone driving through bullet went through hit the the baby seat killed the baby it's tragic one could say that the anti-gun gunners jump on and say hey we need gun control so what part of gang shootout did you not understand about that situation so they're already cr- criminals. They, which they did catch that kid. He's a 22 year old male. They caught him in record time, and that just shows that the the local community has had enough. It used to be that everybody keeps their mouth shut. Nobody says anything to the cops, and that's changing. They said, you know what? Enough's enough. This this child was killed. You know this this kid deserves to go to prison. They the community turned him in. They put his picture out there. They turned on him real quick. Some things are off limits, man. No women, no children. That's the way it rolls. We all know this. I agree. So, but the Atlanta police chief came out and, you know, usually I'm getting ready to hear, we need uh, gun control. We need to make sure these guns are off the streets. And, you know, 
the first thing he said was, we don't have a gun problem. We have a culture problem. And when you said, look in your own backyard, that's what it comes down to. We can, we can take all the guns off the streets. And if the culture is a violent culture, regardless of where you're at, you're going to find some way to get who you want to get or hurt who you want to hurt. Now, whether that's with bats, clubs, explosions, Molotov cocktails, whatever it may be, evil people will do evil things. So when you start looking at it as a culture, we have to fix the culture first. And that could be, you know, anywhere from, you know, just education, just trying to make it to where it's not so violent because really what it comes down to is kids killing kids and that's not a good thing. So that was the first thing. And second was when you said censorship, it's very difficult to find a a new platform or even for platforms that are starting out because all of these new platforms and we're going to start throwing, I'm going to throw out names of interest. So when you see like the Trump, the, the new Trump platform, you know, and I'm going to call out like Tim Pool because I watch Tim Pool and he does a great job of like just putting out news and information. He's pretty fair. He's he's a very, you know, he, he's very fair to put it lightly. One thing I like about Tim Pool, mm-hmm. I will say, is that the background he came from, you know, he was yep. sort of more left leaning and then he kind of had a little change of heart. So I think it it's important mm-hmm. to appreciate a little bit when someone is able to look at both sides of the coin and at least say, hey. Look, you know, I understand these sides. I understand this side. You know, I might be a little bit more towards the middle in this situation, but you know what? I can understand where everybody's coming from. Like, so at least he's willing and able to have an objective conversation in regards to the things that he supports or doesn't support. Right. Kind of like Rogan, you know, well, which I can appreciate. What what really kind of what what really impressed me was when he had the CEO of Getter on, and mm-hmm. he was letting the he was letting the CEO of Getter you know, on the show and he's telling him how great the platform is. And he's like, oh yeah, we don't censor the platform except for this. And he literally looks at him and goes, Hey man, that's BS. I don't care what you say. That's BS. And I mean, they, I mean, I think Tim pool single-handedly tanked that company, like having that CEO on there and letting him talk. Cause I was like, it was going up, 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 up. Boom. Then he, the CEO went on the show and he just didn't do too well, man. Look how quick the gatekeepers can destroy any environment that they want to. And that is what is so freaking crazy about all of it. Now, Mm -hmm. we're going to stick to the gun topic on this particular, but it is worth noting though, that how quickly they can just go, yeah, we don't agree with that and you're out of here. Well, that's exactly. And the reason I even bring that up, because you might say, hey, Matt, what does Gitter have to do with all of this? Top Shot Dustin just got banned from Gitter. For posting uh, something about firearms. And he he was like, hey, man, he, he put it up on IG. He appealed it and Getter was like, oh, yeah, uh, just remove the just remove the gun post and we'll let you have your account back. And we're like, hmm, it's interesting. That was you were supposed to be like one of the open platforms. But it, it just shows that you're not. Well, I started a Facebook account back in, I want to say, 2013, mm-hmm. something like that. And before Zuckerberg shut me down, I had uh, 320,000 followers, yep. you know, and it it's a terrible feeling to wake up and you're unpersoned. Wait, no, you had 870,000. It was 820,000 yeah. when it got canned. Yeah, when you got canned. At its height, it was like 880. And I think yeah. we had, we had purged, they probably purged a few yeah. accounts or whatever. But it, it's, it's a very messed up feeling to wake up and be unpersoned. Yeah. I can't imagine anyone that likes that feeling. Could you, I mean, imagine that. It's With like, no recourse. Screw you. Like, yeah, you and no, no, no ability. So, you know, when you, when you compare it, let's just say to the gun control paradigm, it's the same type of thing. You know, you look at your honorable intentions as a gun owner and you think, well, for one, how in the world can some random legislator a half a world away, might as well be on Mars compared to here. Mm-hmm. A, know what's good for me. B, know me and even know what my honor and intentions even have, you know, have to come into play. Don't even know me as a person to know what my honor and intentions are. And three, like the solution that they're trying to apply doesn't apply to me and isn't relevant to me. But yet here I am have to be subject to it. See, that that's the... 
the major, major disconnect for a lot of gun owners all across the place, right? You know, large cities have unique struggles that they have to confront as that bull in the room that they're going to have to grab by the horns and confront their problems and eliminate the underlying causes for the violence that are occurring. And I swear it's like this weird tribal mentality. You get a bunch of people crammed into a into a smaller place, or you just get a lot of people in a given space, especially when you kind of cram them all in, and they turn into a weird tribe. It's a different kind of vibe, and mm-hmm. people begin to quickly and, and readily say, well, I'm willing to give up freedoms in exchange for security. Now, just because the large cities are willing to give up their freedoms in exchange for the perception of security, not ever going to get real security. That's right. Only the perception of security. Just because they're willing to do that doesn't mean that I'm willing to play the game when I know that my intentions are honorable, justified, and relevant to my existence as a free person in a free society doing honorable and just things. So, you know what I mean? You begin to kind of go, well, this ain't relevant to me. You know, th- this is this is y'all. Like, this is, this is you. You are causing this rhetoric and issues and violence and problems, and you're the ones using these tools in an incorrect way. Why should I be subject to your rules when I'm not breaking your rules? And I think that's where a lot of gun owners feel. They feel disenfranchised. They feel... Like, they're not being represented. You know, you've got all this lip service from the Republicans. Oh, we're pro-gun. Oh, really? Are you? I mean, okay, one could argue that we're getting constitutional carry in more states. That's good. So they've got a little bit to hang their hat on to at least say, look, all right, a decade ago, here's how much constitutional carry states we had. Now, look how many. So there's an interactive map that you can pull up that shows As you move the slider in the years, it can show like how many more states got constitutional carry. And so you can't say that their promises were completely ineffective because obviously constitutional carry is passed in many more states than not, or at least many more than what they did a decade ago, or especially 20 years ago. It's wild when you look at that map, because if you look back at like the 70s and 80s, like, you know, you you couldn't argue that we haven't gotten more lax gun control because if you look at the map you're like wow no states issued permits back in like the 70s and 80s and now you see it like every state except for like two or three are shall issue and then there's like a bunch of them that are constitutional carry but my my i guess my comment on that would be well how how is constitutional carry is it really there to help you or is it kind of a wolf in sheep's clothing meaning they can give you constitutional carry but does that open the door to you know more control meaning like yo yes we'll give you uh the ability to constitutionally carry a firearm but we're going to limit it to seven rounds and you know those those assault rifles mm, you don't need those because we're we're letting you carry your seven round capacity high point so what do you need the 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 assault rifle for just turn those in carry your seven rounds um and be happy be a happy little lemming and just you know we're gonna give you this but we're gonna take away that that's my take on it now i yeah i i i would love it if they didn't but i personally see that kind of going down that road I think that constitutional carry has become very much a political bargaining chip for a lot it, of people. It really has. Now, I'm not. I'm not going to sit there and say that um, the one, the District 31 fellow I was talking about there. I'm not. His intentions are pure. Like he's very mm-hmm. much a honest dude. I can tell that his heart is 110 percent in the right place and what he's trying to accomplish. However, it's like you know, it is an election year. And Kemp's trying to get reelected. Yep. So you know dang well that the underlying underbelly of the situation is that they're only doing it at this point because they know that they're up in for a really vicious gov- governor's battle, right? So Well, he's battling against Purdue and Stacey Abrams. Right. So Purdue, if you guys don't know, was the senator for Georgia for the longest time. Yeah. And he's he's running for governor against Kemp and Stacey Abrams is running a- against Kemp. So he's yeah. 
got his it's heated. Chi- yeah, he's got but his there chi- are political stacked. ramifications that come into play as to why. All right, anytime we get something pro-gun, it's because they want to use it as a bargaining That's tool right. to seek re-election. Anytime we get something anti-gun, it's because they're the iron the is strings. hot and they yep. want to just strike because the emotional uh, platform exists for them to push for it when people are in a weakened mental state and they're not thinking right. Right now. Um, it's just crazy to think about over the years, you know, America is a melting pot of a lot of different cultures, a lot of different people. And there are more people arming themselves now than ever have. And a lot of them are women. And traditionally, and let's just say statistically over the last 20, 30 years or so, right? A lot of anti-gun legislation that has gotten any kind of the legs and gotten any kind of support. We could even say maybe the last 40 years, possibly even 50 years. You know, yeah, a lot of ladies have traditionally supported a heck of a lot of different types of gun control, right? Mm -hmm. The voting records of a lot of random ladies is is pretty distinctively, you know, it's there, right? You, You can kind of look up all of that, the statistics. But I think that a lot of ladies... Females, the females uh, in general across the board, many of them are choosing to earn themselves. You know, they're, they're choosing to think with a lot more logic and a lot more, you know, objectivity to every thought process. So they're not, I guess, we wouldn't necessarily say that it's this, you know, modern feminist movement or anything. Not like that. Maybe some of it is. Maybe some of these these ladies are, are kind of getting a little bit more of a feminist air, and I'm not even saying that's a bad thing or whatever, but women are becoming stronger and more self-sufficient, and as a result, what comes along with being strong and self-sufficient? Being armed, being able to protect mm-hmm. your values, your views, uh, what you believe is right. You must defend what you feel is right, potentially with lethal force, if someone tries to come and take, you know, what you've worked for to hurt you, to harm you. That's right. You know, and there are many ladies that are head of household, they run companies, mm-hmm. they're single mothers. There are many ways that a woman can be a strong woman that's not necessarily related to this modern feminism thing, but more to just the logical transgression or the logical steps that someone has to take to protect what is theirs? And I think there's a lot of ladies that are like, you know what? There ain't always going to be a cop there to protect me. Mm-hmm. There's not going to be a man there to protect me. Or I don't need a man to protect me. I'm just going to do whatever I need to do. Regardless of what the underlying reasoning is for more ladies to be arming themselves than they have ever in the history of the United States, I welcome it. Yeah. Because the ladies need to be protecting themselves. You know, even if a lady, let's just say, is um, more of the conservative Christian, you know, traditional type where the husband, you know, oh, the husband protects me, right? I, I, mm-hmm. You know, I, I wouldn't touch a gun. My husband deals with the guns. Those days are over. It's normal for a lady to pick up an AR and go to the range and train. It's normal for yeah. a lady to carry a pistol, you know, and it's normal for the the whole household to be involved in the uh, Second Amendment and and training and shooting and whether it's recreational, whether it's hunting or what have you. So I think it's positive that we're seeing a more diverse crowd of people take on the mantle of the Second Amendment and the importance of the Second Amendment and choosing to arm themselves. And as that culture changes, it becomes harder and harder and harder to tug at the emotional heartstrings of people holistically in the form of, you know, crazy gun control. And look, the gun control argument is getting harder and harder and harder by the month. Especially with what's going on right now. I mean, let's just face it. The last two years hasn't really made it that difficult to advocate for the Second Amendment. It's it's become a lot easier in the last two years with everything that's happened and everything that's, you know, transposed through, you know, the whole, like, you know, all of the uprisings and the protests and the violence and all that stuff. So, well, at least if you look at it from that aspect, it's becoming easier. Um, but at the same time, um, what you mentioned about, you know, the rights, like voting and stuff like that, if you look at it, just from a top-down overview, 
the Voting Rights Act empowered people to be able to go out and vote without having any type of stipulations, taxes, tariffs, or having to pay to extend to your ability to vote. So why aren't people advocating the same thing for the Second Amendment? Why is it that it's okay to tax and tariff and charge people for the right to carry their firearm like they are in San Jose. Well, I mean, they so just so we're all clear, the San Jose City Council and mayor just passed a law saying that you to to own a firearm and carry a firearm, you have you is mandatory that you carry liability insurance. You mandatory, you have to. You also have to pay to an annual fee that gets put into a slush fund for, you know, gun violence undetermined they didn't say where that money was going they didn't say who has control over it they didn't say how much it's i mean it's 25 dollars is what they said but it's 25 dollars is it per person is it per gun because i mean if it's per gun man that, that's yeah. a lot of money i mean that's, that's ouch yeah so i mean so think about it in order to exercise your rights you have to pay money you have to carry insurance and some people would say but matt you have to have insurance to drive a car well, the funny thing about driving a car is, is that it's not a right. You can choose to drive a car or not, but a gun or firearms, it's a, it's a right. We're all endowed with this. So you cannot charge me money to do that. So how is it that you're all the people out there advocating for, well, especially here in Georgia, it's a really, really hot button here in Georgia, equal voting rights and, you know, making it harder for, for people to vote. Why aren't you out there fighting the same fight for the Second Amendment? Because they go hand in hand. If you look at the the four boxes of freedom, two of them are being discussed right now, right? You have the ballot box voting and the cartridge box, which is firearms. So we need to be, you know, advocating this together and saying, hey, if you're going to go out there and and advocate so much to make it easier to vote, then we also have to be able to protect the right to vote and protect the outcome of the vote. Well, so let's look at um, the right to vote, okay? Very, very important, okay? Harper versus the Virginia State Board of Elections. All right, this is a case back in 1966. This comes right right off Wikipedia. I'm just going to, you know, this is just easy and accessible here. It was a case in which the U.S. Supreme Court found that Virginia's polling tax was unconstitutional under the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment. By this ruling, the Supreme Court banned the use of poll taxes in state elections. Well, you can't tax a right. You cannot tax a fundamental right. You have the right to Mm -hmm. vote. Therefore, uh, you cannot place a financial barrier between your rights. And I'm going to say this because this is going to bring everything full circle. Eric, why? Did they institute a poll tax? The reason that they instituted a poll tax, ladies and gentlemen, was to keep minorities from voting. And the reason that they're instituting all of these laws for gun control is to keep low-income minorities from owning firearms. Yeah, and it's and to be fair, you know, it's it's not just necessarily a stab at minorities; it's a stab against all people. This is true. Anyone who is disenfranchised enough to not be mm-hmm. able to afford, let's say, for instance. You know, I want to have, you know, an AR with a suppressor, mm-hmm. okay, to, to protect my family. And I just deem that that's the best tool for the job, right? Yeah. I don't want to blow I my have, five-year-old's eardrums out. That's right. If know? I have the money to afford a suppressor, a short barrel rifle, a machine gun, I should be able to buy that or whatever. But they place these barriers, like a $200 tax stamp to own, excuse me, an NFA item. Mm-hmm. So. You're placing a financial barrier between the exercising of a right. And then what they did in California is just taking it one step further and saying, well, we're just going to tax any firearm no matter what it is. So there's been a lot of stuff floating around over NFA where I'm really surprised that it hasn't been challenged in court yet. I mean, the Supreme Court needs to hear this. It does. The Supreme Court needs to to say, hey— uh, the NFA is unconstitutional, and here's why. Now, they get around it under this Commerce Clause and all this crap, and then the ATF's mission changed. You know, they were under the uh, IRS, and then yeah. they got moved under the DOJ, and it's like, yep. so what is the mission? So if they changed to a different alphabet agency in terms of what wing they were under, did that mean that their mission changed too? So they were uh, t- collecting taxes under yep. the IRS, 
maybe that was the whole guise of why that thing started. It was just strictly a money-making operation. And then they went over to the DOJ. So, wait a minute. The Department of Justice collects taxes? This is kind of strange. It, it, it's just weird. It is. And it doesn't pass constitutional muster. And that's what's so strange about it. Why hasn't it been challenged in court? You know, and that's what I'll understand. Now, does that mean that one day we're going to get all of our tax fees that we spent on tax stamps back? Nope. We're probably not going to get that money back. Okay. Does it mean that a whole new generation of Americans will know what it means to be able to walk into a gun store and just pick up a suppressor and not have any kind of bullcrap paperwork other than whatever over-the-counter stuff they've got to deal with on the 4473? Maybe. Maybe we can make that change for future generations so they won't be disenfranchised. But that's really what it all comes down to, isn't it? Gun control was simply about disenfranchising someone. Because if there is a fee associated with a right, with a law, for instance, okay, the government obviously doesn't want you having a rifle with a barrel under 16 inches. Somehow they derived at that as being some magic number or whatever, but if there's a financial barrier, I can simply pay, and it's right. not illegal. A pay-to-play scheme. If if I if I can pay a fee and have it, well, then why is it why is it not just legal anyway? That's yep. the, that's the bull in the room that no one wants to confront. Yep. Is that laws and fees and regulations are only there mm-hmm. to hurt people that can't afford to pay? We'll see. If you can pay and just get out of it. It wasn't really a law to begin with, was it? And then the the weird thing is, pe- there's some people that they say, well, you know, you have to pay, but you also have to register the the SBR, or you have to register the the silencer. And for those of you that don't know, they have the paperwork anyways. The money is just a transaction. Those gun stores are going; they, they're required to keep that paperwork. So it's not like they wouldn't know who bought it just because you had to register it as an NFA item. Well, right now, it's the way it's done is as a trace system. So what they're they are not supposed to maintain a registry mm-hmm. on firearms. Okay, correct. Now it doesn't mean that they can't trace a firearm so let's say that something's used in a crime all right there's some bloody mess at a crime scene and they find a bloody encrusted gun at the crime scene they can run the serial numbers go back to the manufacturer the manufacturer will say hey i sold it to joe blow distributor the distributor will say hey i sold it to joe blow outfitters joe blow outfitters will say hey i sold it to joe blow here's that's right 473 so Having the ability to trace it if the property is misallocated, whether it's used in a crime or lost or stolen, etc. Okay, it would make sense that all right, we can find out how who owns this gun. Right, and then, then that person says, "Oh, I sold it to so and so." You know, but they're right. not supposed to maintain a registry. Correct, not a registry, but they do maintain the paperwork, which right. is why when Walmart and this was the big thing when Walmart stopped selling firearms, the ATF went in there and said, "Oh, hey, you can." Um, stop selling firearms. We have to collect all of your 4473s or all your paperwork. So now they have all that paperwork. So if you bought a gun at Walmart, watch out. So the question that we have to really ask ourselves here, I mean, we, we've kind of gone over a lot of different things. And we've determined that, I mean, yeah, gun, gun control ultimately is a Ponzi scheme. It's, it is trying to sell you back your rights for a fee. And it's trying to infringe on your ability to be toe-to-toe with those that would do you harm no matter who they might be. The ultimate question that we have to ask, not only people that support gun control, but the government who enforces gun control. Yeah. What are they so afraid of? Honestly. You, me, the rest of the people. What do they have to be afraid of? Well, as long as they do what they're supposed to be doing, absolutely nothing. But that's what that's what the Second Amendment was all about. I mean, it is really it, it, that is our ability to keep the government in check. Now, nobody's out there saying, "Oh, let's go against the government." No, but it it is a, a nuclear deterrent. Like that's why does America have six hundred nuclear missiles, and why does Russia have six hundred nuclear missiles, and why are they pointing at each other? We don't intend to shoot them in case. So that's the same thing. The government has you know weapons. The people have weapons. If everybody lives in harmony, we're all good. There's no problem. You know, and it, it really does just make you wonder, like, what their intentions are. It's just weird. It's 
It is so crazy that the very exercising of your right has to be stooped in strategy and planning and, oh, we have to you know, have all of these lobbying efforts to mm -hmm. protect what is essentially just, it's words on a document that say exactly what they mean and nothing they don't. And that's what's so confusing about it. We've allowed ourselves to be duped. We've been duped by all of these professional politicians for all of these years who have conveniently and effortlessly packaged our rights into this little gift and said, well, we'll sell it back to you. But really, it was ours to begin with. Mm -hmm. The NFA shouldn't exist. You know, gun laws are meant to disenfranchise many, many people, especially poorer people minorities, what have yeah. you, everyone, anyone who can't afford the barrier of entry. Well, look at what that's who it's meant to stand on, to stand on your neck, to have the boot on the neck of the person that can't afford to pay the gatekeeper. And, th and that's what it really comes down to is that it affects, you know, the people that can't afford to pay. So, you know, we might look at, say, liability insurance and say, well, you know, it's only a, a few bucks, you know, maybe, you know, 25, 50 bucks a month or whatnot. But think about the per the low income person that is struggling to feed their family. They work in a really bad part of town. They require a firearm for safety. They have every intention of going home that evening to see their family. Mm -hmm. And then they're required to pay in California 500 bucks a month for liability insurance because everything in California is more expensive. And they Plus, have every right yep. to defend their life and if, with any tool they deem necessary to do it. And if history has taught us anything when something is mandatory there is no negotiation on price if somebody says you have to have this then there is no incentive for that company to provide you the consumer with a better price because you have to have it so you end up paying the highest price possible so now you have to pay for the, the liability insurance and then let's say you take it one step further and they say well now we want smart guns the biometric sensor on smart guns do you know how much that technology would cost to roll out to the general public do you think that someone that's carrying a high point as a last, like their their line of defense is going to say, well, I'm going to go and pay $2,000 for a, a biometric sensor handgun because it's mandatory. No, they can't afford that. So the same arguments that you see people, these, these asinine arguments that you see people on voting, if you look at the administration, like, well... These people don't know how to get to the DMV to get a driver's license. And without the driver's license, they can't vote because they can't afford the gas to get into the car. So these small microtransactions that they're using, Eric, to keep people from voting, imagine on gun, like trying to buy a gun. But no, you don't see that. You don't see them making that correlation between the two. You just see Well, them. it's way harder to buy a gun than it is to vote. Right. And there and you have to have an ID to do every single thing in your society. That's right. But yet you apparently you it's a big deal. You can't book a hotel, yeah. you can't get on an airplane, you can't buy a firearm, you can't drive well. Some would some people drive their vehicles without <laughs> right. licenses. You but, can't get a cell phone, yeah, you cable, get, internet. I mean, you can lay out all the reasons yeah. that you have to have that freaking ID, you yep. know, and it it's just no one's fooled by that. No one's fooled by that dishonesty. It's disingenuous. It it's just blows me away. It's not a genuine yeah. point to argue. And quite frankly, it's disrespectful to take that, that viewpoint because I don't care. There's People are not that dumb. It doesn't matter who you are, what race you are, what color, religion, creed, ethnicity. You're not that dumb. All right. And to use that as a, as a campaign point um, is disingenuous and disrespectful. That's right. When we look at... Gun control, and, and let's just say the future of gun control. I mean, I even hate the term gun control because it doesn't... Mm -hmm. It doesn't come off not, the tongue that easily, you know? It's not reality. Yeah. It's not reality because what really what it comes down to is people control. I mean, let's just call it what it is. Like, they want to be in control of people. When I hear gun control, all I hear is the word control mm -hmm. because that's all it is. They want control. Let's go back to Dolores Umbridge real quick before we wrap today's podcast. Oh, Dolores. Okay. All right. So... The scene in Harry Potter where Mr. Filch is hanging the rules up on the on the wall, you know, and he's, of course, having to get up on the ladder and drive the nails in and all the rules are just precariously all hung everywhere on every available 
amount of wall space Mr. Filch is filling up with all of these random rules that Dolores Umbridge has, has come up with, right? What actually wound up happening there? Okay, well, it made the kids actually rebel even more. Sometimes you have to put the tools into a societal situation that allow people to self-regulate and self-govern and ultimately self-regulate, okay? Because when you start throwing more rules at the wall, it actually makes the situation even worse. Mm-hmm. Think about it. It, it. It's reverse psychology. Gun control is actually a really terrible reverse psychology. They don't realize that they're actually fueling the very activity that they're trying to avoid by pushing for more control. It, it has the opposite effect of what they actually want to do. They would be better off dropping the subject. Yeah. Drop it. I know it's hard to believe. If you're watching this and you hate guns and you're gritting your teeth, it's hard to believe. But if you would just stop talking about it, stop pushing for gun control, the the the, the balance of all of that would self-regulate. And people would eventually find something else to talk about or something else to make a big deal about. And then the people that had guns are just going to have guns. And people would buy less guns if they just shut up about it. But they can't, though, Eric. They're self-righteous. They have to let everybody know how what their stance is on something to the point where it just becomes this overwhelming drone of like lemmings. Like, no, no, no. It's weird, man. So are the anti-gunners, okay... Someone who's incredibly anti-gun. Let's say that you're one of these rich yuppies that live in a gated neighborhood and you've got guards and private security and things like that. So are you going to tear your gates down? Since there's no guns, you get all your gun control you want on the books. Are your guards going to give up their MP5s and MP7s and machine guns and and rifles and all the things? You know what I mean? So. Are you going to give up every all of your security? Or, so what? All of your personal security? You're going to be armed with rocks and sticks? Oh no! Ask uh, ask Senator Raphael Warnock, Mister Defund the Police, but spend three hundred fifty thousand dollars on personal security for the state of Georgia. How about yeah. that? I mean, look, we just have to call it what it is. I mean, after a while, you can't, you don't get to ha- have the moral high ground to stand on to call for. More infringements on someone's God-given rights when you are not even capable of walking the walk and talking the talk that you you're not even you're not even vibing with what you're putting out. Mm-hmm. You you don't believe what you're putting out because you hired guards with MP5s to guard you, and they got guns. So if you're so philosophically anti-gun, then why do your guards have guns? Why do you call someone with guns to protect you? Yeah. Because you realize guns. that guns are an essential means of defending one's life. It's really an elitist attitude mm-hmm. to go, well, I can have this because I'm me. I can afford to just hire this guy to hold this gun. I don't have to physically have the gun, so I, I can just call for gun control, right? Yeah. It's an elitist attitude that the peons don't deserve to protect themselves, but I do because I'm high and mighty Mr. So-and-so. Well, the interesting thing about that is you just described a police state. So the definition of a police state is where the police have the guns and the people do not. Um, and that, so even if somebody, the anti-guns could just magically snap their fingers and make all the guns disappear from the civilians, the police and the government would still have guns, thus making it a police state. Because despite what anybody says, somebody will have the guns because guns are power. And of course, the higher social uh, hierarchy or whatever, yep. if you will. They don't care because they know that they're going to still just be able to hire the police to protect them anyway. And they don't care if Joe Blow doesn't isn't able to protect themselves because they're always going to be able to just to, to, you know, afford police protection. So on that note, before we wrap it up, I would yeah. probably say, you know, we, you know, with with gun gun. Ah, it's so hard to say gun control, man. I don't even want to say it. I'm like you, man. It doesn't it just doesn't it doesn't jive. It doesn't come out right. It doesn't. Um, so if we're talking about gun control, some states might, you know, have to take the route of Colorado and just, you know, what they did with, you know, weed, marijuana. They just refused. They literally refused to play the game. They said, you know what? Here's the federal law, but we're going to refuse to play the game. And they legalized statewide marijuana. And they've been booming. They've been doing an amazing job. 
But imagine the intestinal fortitude that it takes for a state to stand up and say, we're not playing the game. We don't care about the federal funding. We don't care about the federal banks. The banks weren't, couldn't do business with that, with that type of business. They didn't care. Um, and I wish a lot more states not, I mean, and I know gun control is a big part of it, but there's so many more things that the states could stand up and, and do and say, you know what, we have the ability as a state to determine what laws we enforce. And it comes down to there's states that need a lot more of the government's assistance. So they just, they get in lockstep with the federal government. If you're a state and Colorado did a great job of managing that, if you have a means to support your state with less federal funding, then it gives you more power to legislate your own laws and and decide and cherry pick which federal mandates and laws you're going to follow. I think Georgia's in a great place because we have a port of entry. We have the ability as a state to control that income. We have, you know, we do a lot of movies here. A lot of people are filming movies. We have a lot of outside income coming into the state of Georgia. Um, and our gun I, laws are pretty good. Our gun laws are, are more than they're fair. They're getting better. Yeah, they're more than fair, um, but they can always get better with constitutional carry. Um, but I mean, I just wish more more states would, would take that role with being more pro-states rights. Um, and that'll give us a lot more uh, flexibility on, on laws that we can do. I agree. Well, that ends today's podcast. Great talking points there, Matt. Um, is there anything that we left off or is there something you'd like to commit? Um, you would like to contribute to the conversation, uh, go down in the comment section here below. If you're on the YouTube channel, remember we post on Spotify and, uh, Apple podcasts and all the places you can find podcasts. You can find LLP, um, also, every Saturday, we post our LLP episodes over on the YouTube channel as well. So thank you very much if you're watching in video form. Uh, this podcast is available in video form. If you want to see our ugly mugs, you can. <laughs> Speak if for not, yourself. Yeah. <laughs> if not, you can uh, just listen going down the road or whatever. But definitely leave us a good review on all of the um, you know uh, podcast servers. It really helps us show up in the searches a little bit better. And make sure you tell your buddies. We really enjoy making these podcasts, and we hope you like them too, and understand that we really are trying to be fair and objective and open-minded about everything. Um, have yourselves a great day. Have a great week. Also, we'll see you guys next week here right. on LOP. Bye, everybody. Have a good one. Thanks for listening to Life, Liberty, and Pursuit. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else podcasts are found. Be sure to leave us a five-star review. We'd really appreciate that. You can support us over on Ballistic Inc. by picking yourself up some merch. And remember, guys, dangerous freedom. Have a good one.